Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to the Life and Torah of Our Leaders. Tuesday mornings at 11.30. Sorry, got to get my microphone on here. Okay, start again. Good morning everyone. Welcome to uh, the Life and Torah of Our Leaders. Tuesday mornings, 11.30, live with First Seder Bes Medrash. And a special welcome to our Torah Anytime viewers and listeners who will be joining the Shir Bezis Hashem. Today we are going to be talking about Rav Shamshin ben Reb Rifal Hirsch, known as Reb Shamshin Rifal Hirsch. His father's name was Rifal. He's known as Rav Shamshin Rifal Hirsch, whose yard site will be on Chav Zayin Teves next week, um, 132nd yard site. He was Nifter. December 31st of 1888. Like all of our G'daylim, it's an impossibility to fit this into 40 minutes. Such a, 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 a um, fascinating, fascinating um, G'dal as all our G'daylim are, but we will do our best to give everyone a, uh, a small window and a picture of who this uh, G'dal was. His grandfather's name was Rebunachem Mendel Frankfurter who at the end of his life was the Adayan in the city of Altona. Altona, Ham Hamburg, we've talked about this city numerous times. Dorach Laner was the Rav there. He was, um, he was a Dayan there for free. He refused to take a salary. Um, he set up a school there in Hamburg for ages, I guess it was like sort of like a high school, ages 12 to 17, mostly for uh, impoverished students that he would take care of not only uh, spiritually and their education, he would take care of their physical needs as well. And the purpose of the school was to produce Rabbanim and Mechanchim, educators and rabbis, that was the purpose of the school. His son, Rabbi Nachem Mendel's son's name was Raphael, who married a woman named Gela, the daughter of Rabbi Shamshin Hertz of Hamburg. Now, Rabbi Raphael changed the family name from Frankfurter to Hirsch, named after his grandfather, the father of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Frankfurter, whose name was Rabbi Hirsch Frankfurter, and he was called Rabbi Hirsch Frankfurter, why they named themselves Frankfurter. Originally the family's name was Shapira, probably because they came from Spire, like we talked about Rameir Shapiro's family came from there, that's where the name came from. But then the grandfather had changed his name to Frankfurter because he came from Frankfurt. And now the grandson, Rabbi Fall, decided to change the family name to Hirsch based on the first name of his grandfather, Rabbi Hirsch Frankfurter. And on the, in Chavdal Sivan of 1808, Rabbi Shamshin, um, the son of Rafal Hirsch, was born in the city of Hamburg. At that time in the city of Hamburg, already the reform, the, uh, the winds of the reform movement already were having an effect. And in 1818 is well known that the reform actually established a temple there. And uh, they put out their own Siddur. In that Siddur, they left out Mashiach, Binyan Beis Hamigdash, Tzioin, all types of things like that. All of the G'dayli Hadar of the time, Rabbi Kivager, the Chassam Seifer, the Chavaz Das, Ramor Tchabanet, 
We spoke about many of these gedolim and another eighteen rabbanim. They put out a uh, a a uh, a, uh, a uh, hachraza. They put out a pamphlet called Ele Divrei Habris, where they came out very much in protest against this temple, against those who were miyasidit, against the siddur. In fact, if you look at the Mishnah Bura in Uchas Tfila and Simin Kuf Aleph. When he talks about that one is allowed to daven in any language, he says specifically it means an individual. But to have a congregation daven in other languages, he says you're not allowed to do that. He brings to the Chazam Seifer and he writes that the Go'ine Hazman have already talked about this at length in the Sefer Divrei Habris. And he, ta- he mentions a few things that they say there. But that is this Sefer that we are talking about now that they came out against um, the Reform Temple and its uh, prayer book. Um, now, in the house of Reb Rafael, there would be gatherings of the inhabitants of the city and leaders of the city to try to figure out how to stem this wave of reform that was coming through and how to try to fight against it. And this young Reb Shamshan, he witnessed all of this. And he said later on in his life, he said that when I was 11 years old, I saw the Yush, how people had given up. The Charedim in Hamburg had Pasha given up hope on the future of Klal Yisrael and what was going on. He says, at that point, I already decided that I'm going to dedicate my life to saving Yahadus, to saving Jewry. Reb Rafal, the father of Reb Shamshin, was a businessman who was Kaveh Itam Latayre, set aside time for Taira. Um, Reb Shamshin said about his father, Hatanach. The Tanakh was his second soul. He lived the Tanakh, and is well known the the uh, you know explanations of Rav Hirsch and Chumash and on Tehillim. Um, Tanakh played a very big role in his life. Um, his parents you know, were raising him to be a businessman, and they actually sent him to a business type of apprentice school or something like that. In the year 1821, he was 13 years old, and there was a new Rav that was brought to Hamburg, perhaps by his grandfather, and his name was Rabbi Yitzchuk Bernays. Rabbi Yitzchuk Bernays was a Talmud of Rabbi Avram Bing, who was or the Rav in Wurzburger, or the Rashiv in Wurzburger. You might remember him. He was one of the Rabbeim of the Aruch Laner, one of the Gedolim and Rosh big yeshivas in Germany. And this Rav Bernays was a young man. He was only 30 years old. And he was an unbelievable Talmud Chacham. He was an orator. And uh, he also had a lot of secular knowledge, or worldly knowledge, rather I should say. And um, he was chosen to be the Rav because they were hoping that perhaps him, he with his, as a young person, would be able to have an effect on the uh, youth of the town from, uh, and protect them from the reform. Um, he was very, very particular not to be called Rabbi. He said, the reformers call themselves rabbi. I don't want, it's disgusting to me, the name rabbi. He was called chacham, like the Svardim call their rabbonim chacham. He wanted to only be called chacham. He would not be called rabbi. And Rav Shamshin was taken by him, and he became uh, very close with him. And in fact, because of him, he left business school, that he had been in there in business school for a year. He became a part of Rabbi Yitzchak's yeshiva, he got smicha from Rabbi Yitzchak. At the same time, he also went to a high school to get a, a diploma because in those days in Germany, there was no way 
anyone could get any job as a Rav if he didn't have some type of secular education that was just the Matthias of the times, and therefore he felt that he needed some type of diploma, and we'll see later he even went to university because of that reason, even though his goal was to be a Rav, but he knew his only chance of being a Rav and having an effect on uh, Kalal Yisrael was if he also came along with this secular diploma. Um, in the year 1828, Tammuz of 1828, so he was already 20 years old, Rav Shamshin, and he went to Mannheim. Mannheim was at that point, had the yeshiva of the Aruch Lener. The Aruch Lener was Rosh Yeshiva there, and he learned in the Aruch Lener's yeshiva for a year and a half. He got smicha from him as well. And even after he left the yeshiva, the Aruch Lener was his rebbe. He kept a, a kesher with him, he kept in touch with him. And in fact, in the responsa of Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, Shemesh Marpei, um, there are two tshuvas there, Lamed Gimel and Nun Zayin, that he has with the Aruch Lener. Um, in 1829, he went to the city. Now, the the the, um, the life of of Reb Shavuot Hirsch is like he's traveling um, many long distances from place to place. So he was in Hamburg all the way in the north, and he traveled all the way down to Mannheim, which is south of Frankfurt, which is southern Germany. Um, from there, he went to Bonn. Bonn. He went to university in Bonn. Bonn is a little bit. Uh, northwest of Mannheim and of Frankfurt, the Rhineland area, Cologne, Koblenz, that area. And he went to university there again in order for himself because he felt he needed it to become a Rav. Um, contrary to what some people say, he never got a doctorate or anything like that. Um, but to be a Rav, he needed, for the not only for the people, but even for the government, he needed to have some type of university um, education. While he was there, of course, he learned Tyra, and he actually had a Chavrusa Shaf in Mesech Tzvachim with someone named Avram Geiger. Avram Geiger eventually became one of the leaders of the Reform Movement and one of the uh, opponents of Rav Shamshir and Fal Hirsch, and attacked him vehemently. But at that point, they were still friends. Um, he was still okay, I guess, this Rav Avram Geiger. He was in university, but uh, he learned Mesech Tzvachim together with Rav Shamshin. Um In the year 1830, he became Rav in the, uh, in the uh, region called Oldenburg. Um, now Oldenburg is again very far north, the northwest of Germany. And um, he, he, was, he, was, um, f- he was filling the vacant Rabbonis of Rav Nassen Adler, not the Rav Nassen Adler that we know from Frankfurt, but we spoke about him, a Talmud of the Aruch Lener, who eventually became the Rav of, the, of uh, uh, the Chief Rabbi of Great Britain. We talked about him in the Rav Shloyme Eger Shir as well. And uh, he left to become the Rav in Hanover. And um, he knew um, Rav Shamshin from uh, his days as the ta- in the Yeshiva of the Aruch Laner, And he put in his name that he should be Mamala Mekaymai. And Dalit Tishrei of Tov Kuf Tzadi Aleph, 1830, he was 22 years old, he became the Rav of Oldenburg. In that same year, he married his wife, Chana, or Johanna, she was called in, uh, in German, the daughter of Ramardcha Yudel, who was a banker from the city of Brunswick. And his, uh, this Ramardcha Yudel, the father-in-law, was a uh, very straight person, very makbid on, on mitzvahs. He uh, was a big Baal Chesed, and his daughter had the same nature as, his, as her father. And already at the age of 14 or 15, they used to call her 
the Rebetzin, Harabanit, they used to call the Rebetzin, which Rav Shamshin later on said wasn't really such a, uh, you know, a, 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 uh, a title that people were looking for in those days. It wasn't so complimentary. Most people didn't want to be called the Rebetzin, but she was such a frummy, so to speak, she was called the Rebetzin. And um, he actually got a very big dowry from his father-in-law, seeing a wealthy person, a banker, that he actually invested in his father-in-law's banks and businesses. And uh, after a few years, he realized that many Jews were not so careful or aware of the halachas of ribis, especially when it comes to banks and investments. So he took out his entire investment, he gave it all to Tzedakah, and he didn't want to have any benefit from it, on the chance that there was a problem of ribis in the money that was earned, he therefore gave it all away to Tzedakah. And that shows his diktuk in halacha and Yerashamayim. He gave up his entire wealth that he received because he was afraid that maybe some iser had been performed with it. He described his wife, Hannah, as someone who carried the burden together with him throughout all the years. He said, when they threw stones at me and they threw dirt at me, obviously figuratively, he says, they were throwing it at her as well and she, she accepted it and she carried it as well. And she would come out to greet him sometimes and say, have they already been, uh, you know, bashmutzing you, hitting you in the newspapers because he got a lot of flack for a lot of things that he wrote. And she said, don't worry, I'm already waiting to see the, the beautiful answer that you're going to give them. Besimcha, she was mechazikim, and she supported him in everything that he did. Um, in Old, Oldenburg was like a region that was made up of many small um, villages. And Reb Shamshin described it, he says, there is no village here that is more than 20 families. Some of them have only two families. He was writing to someone in South Germany, a Rav, and he says, you don't even understand how spread out the Pizur, how spread out the Jews here are in the north of Germany. In, in, in the south, you can't even imagine such a thing. Um, now in Germany at the time, as we said before, the reform was um, conquering, for lack of a better word, um, Kahila after Kahila, community after community was being taken by the reform. As one of the Rabbanim, Rav Shmuel Hamburger, wrote in his Sefer, um, he said, It's befitting to make every day a new eulogy, on the breaking of our nation. This is a play off the Kinois that we say on Tisha B'av. So in 1836, while in Oldenburg, Rav Shamshin put out a Sefer. And it was called Igroit Safoin, or better known, or Tzafun, I'm sorry, better known as the 19 Letters. And it was a series of letters that he printed under a pen name, Ben Uziel. And it was written as a back and forth between um, one trying to figure out Yesaidais of Emuna and Taira and Yados, and answers to those questions. And it really um, clarified many of the Shilas that were going on in people's personal lives. Um, the purpose of life, Ben Yisrael Loamim, um, all different types of Yisaidas Huemuna. And um, this is, he put it out, and this, and this Sefer took over uh, Germany, and it really explained to the youth, it was written in German, obviously, to the youth, Yisaidas Atayra, it's a, it's, a fab, uh, it's a Sefer that was printed over many, many languages. Years later, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter wanted it to be printed in Russian. I don't think it ever happened. But um, it, was a, it, was a, it was like a new breath of fresh air onto the Jewish scene. Um, in Oldenburg, he was very lonely, Reb, Reb Shamshin, and he wrote about it to his father, how lonely it is there. 
And his father told him that take he gave him advice, Kneilchachaver. Kneilchachaver, a play on words, Hakana, meaning your pen should be your friend, you should take to writing. And he said, Rav Shamshin, really, he, he, he liked to speak, he was an orator. His p- writing, he didn't feel he expressed himself properly in the way he wanted, but he pushed it, had no other choice. Um, now, a year before, in 1835, he had written a sefer called Chayrev, Horeb is it called in English. And it was a sefer on the mitzvahs, explaining mitzvahs, Taimeha mitzvahs, also Emunah Hashem, Avas Hashem, um, different Yisaydes. And, however, he couldn't find any publishers to print it because they didn't. no one believed that anyone would purchase. Who was interested in purchasing a sefer um, in German about mitzvahs? And uh, after he printed the 19 letters a year later, all of a sudden he found publishers. All of a sudden there was a, a thirst for Torah in Germany. And um, he was now able in the next year to actually print um, the sefer Chayrev um, that talked about the mitzvahs. The reform went nuts, and they wrote a sefer against it called Chayrev B'Tziyayin, against it. Um, his old friend Avram Geiger would write terrible, terrible personal insults against him in the newspapers, really went out all against him. Reb Shamshin wrote, um, a, he, he answered them, he, he, you know, he, he uh, answered back on their sefer, and he wrote a, uh, uh, a postscript called Achris Davar, the last word, to answer what they said, and this began a, a career of him writing and being attacked and writing back and convincing and, and putting out there into the public um, the foundations of, of Yadus. Um, in 1838, he wrote a sefer called Naftulei Niftalti, which actually was written specifically to, um, to against the reform movement and to uh, show how it's fake and it's wrong and, um, and show how their whole platform is, uh, is, is, has no basis to it. Um, in 1841, the Menahel, the principal of the school in Oldenburg, wrote a little pamphlet which basically he wrote against Teresh Abiksav and made fun of it. And, um, the, and Reb Shamshin wrote something called Ha'aris, where he defended Teresh Abiksav, and he showed how, how foolish the entire pamphlet that was written was. And there was such a Kiddushem Shemayim that not only for the Jews, but actually the Catholics and the priests, they also came to thank him for defending the Old Testament. To them was an attack on their religion as well. And uh, he, he protected it and he defended it and they were very excited about that. He was in Oldenburg for 11 years. And in uh, the year 1841, Chav Zayin Ir, he was chosen to become the Rav of the area called Orich and Osnabrück, which is um, a little bit more northwest of Oldenburg, really the most northern western part of Germany, and the, it was ten little communities with the with the main seat of the Rabbanus in the city called Emden. And that time he got very busy. He writes the Malachim Hamalacha Meruba from Meirav Ad Biker, sometimes till the middle of the night. He was busy. Most of the people in those cities were Yirei Hashem, and that's why even though he was offered the Rabbanus in Mainz, the Rabbanus in London, um, he refused to leave because here he had Yirei Hashem. He didn't have this big city issues of the reform to fight against daily. He made a, he made a school there for boys. The Rabbitson made a girls' school. He made one of the first free loan gemachs um, in in Germany. Was uh, was he, he made over there in Emden? 
In the year 1844, as we know, the Brunswick Conference, um, which the Reform had, and um, the Aruch Lener, as we said, in Fushiurim already, came out with a macha against it, with 300 other Rabbanim signing it. And the Askanim, the lay leaders in Amsterdam, asked numerous Rabbanim to actually write letters to, um, not just a letter of protest, but to explain why, what was going on there and why it was incorrect. And Reb Shamshin was one of those who wrote it. It's, 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 the, the letter is in the Sefer Shemesh Marpe that they put out from him. And the letter is signed, um, Emdin Zion Hanukkah Tafresh Hay. In Tafresh Zion, he then went all the way southeast, way southeast, to Nicholsburg. We haven't heard of we haven't heard Nicholsburg in a while. Nicholsburg, the rub of Nicholsburg, I'm sorry, Nicholsburg, Vahamedina, the rub of becomes the chief rabbi of Moravia, and this was a major, major rabbonus. Fifty-two communities were in this rabbonus. He was only 40 years old when he became the Rav in Nicholsburg. And um, as the Rav of the Medina, as the chief rabbi, not only did he answer chuvas from all over, which there are many chuvas from that period of time from him, he also was in charge of deciding what besechtas the yeshivas learn, giving bechinas to the yeshivas, making sure all the yeshivas have printed whatever, I don't know if they printed full gemaras, but at least the, the blot that they would be learning. So it was a major, major job. Um, now, the only problem was here that he was stuck in the middle here between the what we would call the reform or the Haskalah, um, the progressives, perhaps we, perhaps we would call them today, and the Haredim and the real Fruma, like the Ksav Seifer, Talmidei, Chassam Seifer, really on the right, all the way on the right, and then you had the reformers all the way on the left, and now you had him, so to speak, in the middle. He was a young German Rav, so he was a little too from for the left wing. He, the right wing, looked at him also. They weren't sure what to do with him. And they were very suspicious of him. And uh, he, he almost couldn't win when he was, when he was at the Akhtara for his Rabbanus. So the one, since the Rabbanus had to do with the government, so the one who, who so to speak, installed him was actually a, a reform rabbi. And he got up and he bashed all the old Haredi Rabbanim. And, uh, and he was so excited, he has a young Rav now. And Rav Shamshin got up and started crying, and he was Meshabeach, all the old Rabbanim, and he, ex he ignored the uh, Reform Rabbi who introduced him, who was livid. So he, he like, stuck in the middle. N not long after he became Rav, he was in Vienna for, a, for, for some communal work, and there were uh, a lot of Rabbanim there. And while he was there, the Hungarian Gedolim, amongst them the Ksav Seifer himself, they went to speak to him in learning. And when the Ksav Seifer got back to his yeshiva and he spoke about it, he said he was nispal anywhere in Shas and Paiskim that we spoke to him. He says he was fluent. He couldn't get over it. And he said, we Hungarian Rabbanim had the mazel that Reb Shamshin thought he's a bigger Lamdan than we are. He says, because if he would have realized what a big Lamdan he was, we, would, um, we wouldn't have any manucha from him. We would have no rest from him. So mazel that he doesn't have that he's a bigger Lamdan than us. That's what the Ksav Seifer said about him. Now, in 1848, there were waves of emancipation throughout Europe and in Moravia as well, and the Jews wanted their emancipation as well. And of course, the world of the Chassam Seifer, Tamid the Chassam Seifer, the Ksav Seifer, very wary of emancipation. Freedom only brings to throwing off the yoke of Torah. 
Rav Shamshin supported the emancipation movement, but al he says that we should be Yehudim Nemanim Ledasam. We have to be true to our religion. Because, he writes, there's no point of being free Jews if we stop being Jews. If you're a free Jew who's not Jewish, it doesn't mean anything. And um, therefore, he was, as much as he was supporting it, he was very strong that they should, he went out to fight against the Isser of Yayin Nesach, um, which if you remember way back from our Maral Shir in Nicholsburg of Moravia was already an issue, um, shaving with a razor, women covering their hair. He wanted to unite all the Kilis together with certain rules. Um, um, he sent Takanas for shuls in order that the shuls should be places of Yira and covered, coming on time, not talking, all different rules that he wanted to institute um, that should be across the entire region. Everybody should be unified. And that would give the Kayach to stand up to remain from against the emancipation that would lead people to throw off the yoke of, of Taira. Um, at that point, he started, he, he started having chasanas or a chuppah in shuls. And in two tshuvas in Shemesh Marpa, he explains that this really was an old minning in Germany, and he's medaiket from the Ramah. And he writes a letter to two places there, and he explains why it's okay to have it, have it in shul. Now, there's a, there's a letter actually in the, in the, from the Ksav Seifer to one of the cities. I'm sorry, about, about one of the cities that Reb Shamshin was writing to, it's a little bit after Reb Shamshin wrote to them about why it's okay to have a chuppah and a shul, and the Ksav Seifer writes in that letter, he says he's mishabeach, the people of those cities, that they didn't give in and they stood up to the Messiah to have a chuppah outside. And the Chassam Seifer always saw it as, 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 as the Chassam Seifer has a tshuva about it. About it's more like they because the Gaim have it in churches and the reformers wanted to have it like that. And therefore, it might have been an old minig somewhere in Germany, but for Dyrus it had been outside under the sky, and the Chassam Seifer was fire against it. And uh, like we see in this city, they were struggling, and Ramshamshin supported them. And the Chassam Seifer had a letter where is Mishabeach those who didn't give in. And the Ksav Seifer writes, especially nowadays, women aren't dressed sneas, and they're going to go in with no covering on their hair and, and, and not dress properly. They're going to go into a shul. That happens to be Rav Shamshin did not let any women in the shul by a chuppah, except for the Kala, her mother, and the Chassin's mother. And he started a new thing about speaking under the chuppah as well, a drasha under the chuppah. And once in the middle of a drasha, some women actually came in, and he stopped, and he rebuked them with very harsh words, and he refused to continue till they left. So what the Ksav Seifer was worried about in that part, Reb Shamshin had, um, at least when he had a chuppah, he made sure that didn't happen. He wanted to have a bismedrish for Rabbanim and teachers to produce, uh, you know, to produce Rabbanim and, te- and educators. But again, he had a very hard time. The, the, the left didn't want to do it. The right didn't want to do it. All these takanas that he wanted to put in place to unify the Kehilas of Moravia didn't really come to be. And therefore, in the beginning of Tafrei Shir Aleph of 1851, I'm sorry, the beginning of Chaydesh Adar of Tafrei Shir Aleph, he got an invitation from Frankfurt. And like the son-in-law of the Chassam Seifer, Reb Zalman Spitzer, in the Hespit that he said on Reb Shamshin, Rafal Hirsch, he said Frankfurt was an Ir Hanidachas. There were only 11 people, Yirei Hashem, and they called him to come be the Rav, and he decided to go. Can you imagine he gave up this Rabbanus in Moravia to go to Frankfurt for 11 people? 
And when the Nicholsburg people and the and the whole country heard about it, they all of a sudden said, "No, we want it. We'll we'll accept what your takanas. We'll unify." The uh, Rosh Hakol of of Nicholsburg promised that every one of Reb Shamshin's eight children, he'll give a dowry of ten thousand golden coins if he stays in Nicholsburg. But um, he said, "I already gave my word to Frankfurt, so if they release me from my word, I'll stay." But Frankfurt said, "Bishum Eifenat." They said, "Zushailas Chayim." This is a shail of pikuach nefesh for us. And not only are we not allowed to be mavater, also levater. We're not even allowed to. Not are not, we not able to, I'm sorry. We're not allowed to be mavater. We cannot let you, free you from your commitment. And that's why he left this melucha, this rabbonus, the rabbonus of 60,000 Jews in Moravia for the small little kehila called Adas Yeshurun. And in his first drasha in Frankfurt, he he brought, like he did in any new endeavor, and he said that Hatzlacha is not dependent on how many people are involved in something. It's not dependent on Rabbim, it's dependent on the people who are Makdish Chayeim, those who, who dedicate and, and sanctify their lives for holy pursuits. Loi bechayov says Hashem. It's not with strength and it's not with multitudes. It's with the Ruach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that things are successful. And you could give a whole shir and hours and hours about Frankfurt and what he did there. He basically, as we all know, built the Kihila. He built all of the institutions until it became one of the most Chashiva Kihilas in Germany very quickly. And... Um, and, um, and, and he built it up from this small little kahila that was fledgling, and he built it up into, from the, for the biggest kahilas, hundreds, built, he, he made a, a school, hundreds of Talmidim. It was just, he just built it up into an unbelievable, unbelievable um, kahila. Now, the Medina, the, the, the government recognized the idea of a kahila, of a, a Jewish body. And the problem was that most of the uh, people in this body called the Kehila were reform. And he thought that they should be able to separate themselves. Why do we have to pay taxes? Why do we have to be tully in their decisions? Their reform were Haredim. And in 1876, there was the law of secession in Germany, which allowed um, um, Kehilois to, to secede from the main Kehila of the community and make themselves independent. And he... Um, and he separated his kehila, and he said it's usher to be a member of the other kehila because they're rishayim. And he actually wrote an entire uh, an article in the paper about it, explained it, and he says they're telling us you're not allowed to be pirish minatzibur. You now let's separate from the kehila. He says It's not the individuals here who are separating themselves from the congregation. The congregation separate themselves from Taira, and we're not part of that congregation. And in fact, even in the Beis Hakvaris, he said we're going to be totally separate. And I was zeichet to be in the Frankfurt Beis Hakvaris twice, and you could see there there was a wall put up straight down the middle of the Beis Hakvaris. On one side was the Kehila, the regular Kehila, and on the other side was Rav Shamshim Fal Hirsch's Kehila. And there was a separate entrance even to the Beis Hakvaris and to that part of the cemetery. Now the wall has been broken down in middle, and you could walk through it. But at that time he kept it separate, and you always unbelievable to see such a small little Kehila. He started off. 11 families, 
and you look at the Beis HaKvaris, his section, hundreds and hundreds of people are there just in that Beis HaKvaris. We're not talking about the continuation of the Kehillah of Frankfurt in, uh, in America. We're talking about just who's buried in that, in that Beis HaKvaris um, from the years, uh, again, we're talking about um, the years 1876 until the war is only 50 years, right? Uh, for 60 years, not a very long time. And yet, uh, how many hundreds and hundreds of people are there? It shows you what he, what he was able to do. Um, the problem was that um, even though he came out clearly, you have to separate. There was some misunderstanding, and it's a very, it seems to be a very painful topic for the Frankfurt people with the Rav of Würzburg, who first agreed with Rav Shamshin Valersh, then for some reason retracted, and that caused many people not to separate themselves from the main kihila even though they were really part of Adas Yeshurun, and it caused him a lot of pain until the end of his life um, that uh, there was this, this confusion about it, which he held is a, is a very clear Isser. In 1854, he uh, established a periodical, a monthly periodical called Yeshurun. He himself throughout the years was the editor um, for many years. He wrote over 400 articles there, and... Um, and uh, it was a, a well-known periodical which brought Taira and, and Ashkafa to Germany. Um, he wanted to show how Taira Shebiksav and Taira Shebalpeh are one and the same, and he, therefore he wrote his famous Hirsch's Pirish Ala Taira, which came out in volumes, Bracious through Devarim, from the years 1867 till 1878. In 1882 he wrote a Pirish on Tehillim, and uh, he started a pirish on the Siddur, which he finished at the end of his life in 1888, which was actually published in 1896 after his death. Um, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole uh, uh, discussion about Rav Hirsch and Kabbalah. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but Rav Schwab was once told by some historian that... Um, they would say that Rev Hirsch was Isaac in Kabbalah because there were times they saw him every day going to the mikvah on a constant basis. And, but this person told Rev Schwab, and Rev Schwab and his son was there and repeated it, that uh, Rev Hirsch himself explained that at that time he actually had to have a, a correspondence with one of the maskilim, and he had to read the letters of the maskilim, this maskil, and answer him. And he felt every time that he finished reading one of his letters, he needed to go to the mikvah to be metaher his machshavas that had been... Uh, had had an effect or had to see and read the words of, the, of this Moscow. And this was his mission in life in Germany. This is what he did. He fought against the reform his entire life. Now when you look at his chuvas and you see some of the, the fascinating chuvas, you see some of the things that he, that he had to deal with, the things of the times. For example, in Nicholsburg there was a Shaila. I'm sorry, he wrote to Nicholsburg. Um, there was a Shaila if they could um, demote a chazin who had rented his house to be a coffee house, a Moshev Leitzim. Um, there's a tshuva about Shinoi in Sidre Hatzfila, or davening in other languages, like German, um, having an organ in the shul. These are all the reform types of things. What about a chazin who, because of the tune, he repeats words? Um, and uh, and is, uh, is that good? Do you demote him? So he writes over there, interesting, he says, Any kehila who wants to be called a kehila Yehudis, a Jewish congregation, and whose machshiv tefillah, l'dover mu'ula, 
to make sure not to allow a chazin to repeat words, and if he wants to repeat them, you have to you have to uh, fire him. That's the chashivas tefila is not repeating words, and because the song works out that way, and that's a a, a very famous tshuva of his. He has another tshuva about could more than one person say kaddish at the same time, um, and he says no. Because two voices are not heard. And when two voices are not heard, you don't hear anybody. So he paskins only one person's allowed to say uh, allowed to say Kaddish. And that's still the minig Adayimazeh uh, amongst the Yakis. Um, what about a Kayan who married a Zaina? Do you have to be Mechabit him in things of Kahuna? You're allowed to eat from Ishrita. He paskins the Tzasser. He has a very fascinating tshuva about Shiurim. About Shiurim, Kezayis, and Amma and things like that. Two tshuvas about it. And he writes over there, and the basic yesite of the tshuva is that you see that Shiurim and the Torah have to do with things in the Bria. Um, the size of an olive, the size of a fig, um, the limbs of a person, his finger, his thumb, his arm, a zeres, a amma, a kaimet. He says it's very clear that the Torah didn't want or didn't expect Shiurim to be an absolute. It would depend on He says there's no even like, um, you know, a standard shear. Every place, people are different sizes, the fruits are different sizes, and therefore if the Torah made and Chazal made the shirim based on that, it's very clear that they are fluid depending on the place. And that's why he says if the minig in one city is to have shirim of this size and another city has different sizes, so they shouldn't come together and make some type of shalom. Each one should keep their minig. That's what the Torah really wants. Yomim Neiroim of Tuf Reish Memtes. He had been Rav in Frankfurt for 37 years. He davened for the Amud Tfilas Neila, and he finished 15 minutes before the time for Myriv. And he got up and he said his last drasha. And he said, he was talking about the last Amen of the last Kaddish of the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, that last Amen of the Ila. And he said to them, any time that you'll be in a time of Pachad, of fear, we're in a time of etzev, of sadness, when certain intentions or certain promises didn't come to fruition, and you're a little down. He says you should say Amen. And when you say Amen, this Yom Kippur, that last Amen should come back to you. And remember the level of Emunah you were on. L- remember the level of Isiris that you're on, and you will then have Kayach to be able to weather the challenges of the year. Always remember that last Amen and relive it. And that was his last drasha. About a month before his Petira, he became sick. And on Erev Shabbos, Kedesh Parshas Vaira, he became even sicker. And uh, he was deathly ill. The community used to pay him quarterly by based on the uh, secular calendar. So when he realized that he might die before the end of the quarter, so he told his children that if he dies before the end of the quarter, now they paid him prorated. So they paid him from September uh, to December, that quarter they would, um, or October, November, December, I'm sorry, they would pay him, they would pay him up front. So for the last quarter they paid him up front. So he said, if I die before the end of the quarter, so you should um, return whatever change, so to speak, there is that I didn't work. And with his, you know, with Hashgacha, he was nifter on December 31st, the last day of the quarter. He was fully paid and did not have to return, have to return any money. So on Chav Zayin Teve, 7.30 in the morning, he was nifter. 
and the Levaya took place the next day, all the Rabbanim of Germany, all the, the students of the school, um, 16 of the older students carried his 16 Svarim um, by the Levaya. More than 12,000 um, inhabitants of Frankfurt came to the Levaya. The Levaya took from 9.30 in the morning till the evening when he was buried in the cemetery um, of Frankfurt. In the Hespid that the Chassam Seifer son-in-law of Zalman Spitzer, we quoted it before, and he writes an unbelievable thing. He says, Just like my father-in-law, the Chassam Seifer, accomplished for Torah, Kiyom, he gave it, that it will have a Kiyom Ajimois HaMashiach, through the thousands of Talmidim and Talmidei Talmidim. So too, Rav Hirsch did the same thing in Emuna. Kava Emuna Bashkenaz. He established Emuna in Germany, Ajemois HaMashiach. And not only in his city, and not only in his land, Avogamba Oilam throughout the entire world through his Chiburim. An unbelievable statement that what the Chassam Seifer did for Torah in the world, Rav Hirsch did for Emuna in the world. I just want to end off. There's so many beautiful Vertlach from. Rav Sham Shemafal Hirsch, and especially from his Pirush, I shouldn't call him Varlach even, Divrei Taira, Pshat, in his Pirush on Chumash. But I want to share with you two Divrei Taira which are not in the Chumash, but are set over in his name. The first one is when it says, by the Klala of Adam Arisha and Vehu Yimshabach, by Chava, it says, and he will rule over you. So Rav Sham Shemafal Hirsch says, it's from Lashon of not rulership, it's a Lashon of a Moshal, of a paradigm, of, or a parable. He will be a parable for you. He'll be a mushal for you. He will be an example for you. When a husband goes in the ways of Torah and Yira, he is a mushal and a dogma how one should act. And similarly, on the Pasuk Kabedes Avicha, again, this is not in the Pirishan Chomish, but it was said over in his name that he said, Kabedes Avicha, that you should respect the Avicha, the fatherness, so to speak, you have in yourself, your inner father, meaning to say, a person has to respect his being a father. Ha'aba has to be a dogma, it has to be an example, a similar vart to his mishpacha. person has to value who he is, his value, his position as a father. Kabeid esavicha, you should respect your fatherlichkeit, was his lashon in Germany, that your fatherness, that you are a father when you act in the proper way and realize what your position is in the family, so then your children will have a father to be mechabed. When you're mechabed, the avicha, your inner avicha, your children will have a father to be mechabed because you are an example for them. This is the famed and unbelievable changing, the one who changed the world of Germany, changed the world entirely, Reb Shamshin ben Reb Rafal Hirsch, whose 132nd yard site will Bez Hashem Bichov Zayin Teves, Schusayag and Aleinu. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, everyone. We should be Zaycha to Yeshua Senechamas. Kaltov.